This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. In our time, many faithful Catholics are openly beginning to ask how are we to act when faced with enemies within the church who openly attack and subvert the faith. We're faced every day with an increasing ferocity coming from the hypermodernists who clearly detest everything about the faith, including the church's glorious history her sacred treasures, and the deposit of the faith itself, and this includes the liturgy. Why they remain members of the church instead of leaving her for something they find more to their liking is anyone's guess, but they have the power in the institutions, and we must do something to preserve the faith. But what? It's not a new question facing Catholics. St. Peter Canisius was faced with a similar question centuries ago, and he told those whom he guided in his ministry what they must do. According to that great saint, quote, Better that only a few Catholics should be left, staunch and sincere in their religion, than that they should, remaining many, desire as it were to be in collusion with the Church's enemies and in conformity with the open foes of our faith. End quote. Those are words for us to consider as I go over this story today, a story of modernists and withering religious orders that would rather let their orders die completely than to let them and their treasures fall into the hands of the evil, meanie, poo-poo-headed trads. Our story today is of the modernist manifestation of the heresy of iconoclasm, which I'll define for you in a moment. Remember, modernism is the synthesis of all heresies, so every heresy that's shown up in history is present in our current situation. But first, let's look at what I'm talking about here. On Twitter, Matthew Schmitz had a thread that went viral on Twitter just in time for the new year. Whether it's relatively old or new isn't really important, to be honest, since we are almost certainly going to be faced with a lot more of this in the future. According to Mr. Schmitz, quote, a monastery in Belgium was closing and selling its possessions. A bookseller asked them if he could purchase a certain rare volume that he was seeking for a friend of mine. They said they had destroyed it, lest it fall into the hands of traditionalists. At least some older liberal Catholics would rather destroy what they have than see it fall into the hands of their juniors. End quote. Yes, they'd rather destroy their own history than let it fall into the hands of traditionalists. Now think about the implications of that for a while, if you like. What it should mean to anyone who is remotely aware of the crisis in the church is that these monks cannot stand the traditional faith to such a degree that they'd rather just torch our collective history than let those who want to restore our history have the documents and rare books, since that would enable us to restore tradition in some way. As one user on Twitter aptly stated, quote, If you'd rather destroy your rare treasures of manuscripts or artwork than let it fall into the hands of traditionalists, then you don't love or live the faith. You instead worship your ideology. End quote. And he's 100% accurate. The ideology of the springtime of the new advent has overtaken the faith, and we're living in the desolate winter brought on by their revolution in Tiara and Cope. Nowhere was this expressed in writing with more clarity than in a recent article in the modernist online rag Commonweal magazine. In an article with the laughable title, A Living Tradition, we get this expression of what they really fear. They accuse us of what they themselves are guilty of. Quote, We've certainly seen harmful results in the United States, which has the world's highest proportion of locations offering the older rites, meaning the, the traditional mass. Instead of promoting greater harmony with and closeness to the universal church, broad availability of the older rites has been used as an opportunity to create a church within a church, a community apart from the mainstream. Dubious pastoral practices have attended this development, such as using the Baltimore Catechism instead of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, or reading the Dewey Rams Bible in preference to modern scripture translations, it is not just a matter of lace and Latin. A reactionary thought world is being cultivated as well. End quote. 
and they're talking about all your favorite podcasters there, at least in part. They accuse us of being guilty of employing an ideology instead of the faith. But in reality, all we really want is the faith and the church to act like the church in the world again. That's really all we want. When you really boil it all down to its essential parts. But that is an ideology according to the deeply ideological. The author of that piece continues this thought with this statement that shows that we are in fact gaining ground among regular Catholics who are openly wondering what has been going on in the church and why their parishes are clearly filled mostly with the only the very eldest members of their community. Quote, One can hardly overstate the noise that freeing the older rites has introduced into liturgical discussions, even though the actual number of traditionalists remains small. A constant stream of criticism is poured forth from traditionalist enclaves challenging the liturgical decisions flowing from the reform, such as use of the vernacular, communion in the hand, women in the sanctuary, and priests facing the people at Eucharist. This noisy opposition grabs attention and causes distraction. A graver problem is that some adherents of the older rites have sown doubts about the validity of the liturgical reform overall, and propagate the erroneous view that the reformed liturgy represents a betrayal of orthodoxy and a departure from the quote-unquote true church. Rather than a softening, there has been a hardening of ideological opposition to the council as a whole. This is no trivial matter. When someone attacks a liturgical reform, they attack the council. This situation is getting worse, too. Leading voices among traditionalists in America lately have totally abandoned Benedict's project of mutual enrichment. There can be no real peace with the new liturgical forms, they argue, because the reformed right is fundamentally flawed, a modernist creation. It's not even a right, they claim, but a mere construction. End quote. Yes, we claim that, because it's true. The typical traditional Catholic, though, did not reject the concept of mutual enrichment until it became obvious that the only mutual enrichment that was expected was for the traditional liturgy to embrace the loosey-goosey nonsense that we see typically in the Novus Ordo, and that the myriad errors liturgically in the new Mass were going to not only be tolerated, but even defended against correction. As we've seen in everything from the dismissal of Cardinal Robert Seurat, from his role overseeing the liturgy for the Vatican, to the current hammering of Novus Ordo priests, who want to make their Masses look even a little Catholic. The mutual enrichment only meant corrupting the traditional liturgy of the Church, not making the Novus Ordo appear at least a little Catholic. Which brings me back to this. Modernism is the synthesis of all heresies, and in this we see the manifestation of something called iconoclasm, an ancient heresy that reared its ugly head during the so-called Reformation, but really dates back to ancient times. Over at Catholicism.org, which I think is one of the best websites for learning the truth about the traditional Catholic faith, describes iconoclasm and its connection to our time today in a way that I think will make it clear what the connection is to all of this. Quote, Iconoclasm was another attack on the Incarnation that occurred in a more direct and obvious way. Iconoclasm was a frontal insult on that seeable, touchable, and holdable attribute to the Church. Iconoclasm in the Iconoclast would have eradicated that visible notion of the Church and made her the visible, the invisible entity, the quote-unquote mere Christianity that she has become today in the minds of many. By seeking to suppress the very visible representations of our Lord Jesus Christ, his mother, and the communion of saints in heaven, the iconoclast attempted to de-incarnationalize Christianity and replace it with an immaterial and ethereal contemplation of God. To de-incarnationalize Christianity is to remove the visible essence of the church and her moral authority from the mind, to eradicate the priestly hierarchy, and to break down the distinction between the sacred and the profane. Once the church and her visible essence have been removed from the mind, the other authority, the state, soon fills the vacuum, and its quote-unquote civil religion replaces that of the true faith, end quote. And what more evidence of that do you need than constant homilies about secular issues of the day and dwindling numbers in, of belief in the real presence 
this is very real, and this is iconoclasm. The result of what we're seeing in our time with the suppression of tradition in favor of the new faith is pretty straightforward. The new religion, the post-Vatican II spirit of Vatican II construction, reduces the faith to a mere sentimentality that includes pretty much anyone who wants to be associated with it except for those of us who adhere to the Catholic faith in its historically recognizable form, meaning you and probably I. This includes our so-called separated brethren, our alleged elder brothers in the faith, and their theological neighbors who expanded militaristically in the Holy Land and were resoundingly defeated at both the Battle of Vienna and at Lepanto. But it does not include you and I, because those with the historic faith are an obstacle to building the universal church of man, so all the elements of the classic faith must be torn down, erased, and buried forever. That's what the monks were doing in Mr. Schmidt's tweet, and that's what Francis is doing when he limits the traditional liturgy to some remote parish in far-flung corners of your diocese, and that's what he's doing when Cardinal Supich bans your mass for Holy Week and Easter Sunday. It's a form of iconoclasm, except that it's, now it's here in the church and not just being done by those who admit to being in schism. We get accused of elevating an ideology to the level of theology. And I said before, they accuse us of what they themselves are doing. There's no reason or logic behind their actions, because if they were being reasonable, they'd see that their modernism has failed the church and caused many souls to be lost. But they're not using reason. They're using ideology in the way that they say that we are. Chesterton describes this when talking with the classical iconoclast in his masterpiece, The Everlasting Man. You really must read that if you haven't. It's a book that has been described as one of the very best and most inventive defenses of the reality of Christ ever written. Chesterton says, quote, It is because the critics are not detached that they do not see this detachment. It is because they are not looking at things in a dry light that they cannot see the difference between black and white. It is because they are in particular mood of reaction and revolt that they have motive for making out that all white is dirty gray and that black not so black as it is painted. I do not say that there are not human excuses for their revolt. I do not say it is not in some way sympathetic. What I say is that it is not in any way scientific. An iconoclast may be indignant. An iconoclast may be justly indignant. But an iconoclast is not impartial. And it is stark hypocrisy to pretend that nine-tenths of the higher critics and scientific evolutionists and professors of comparative religion are in the least impartial. Why should they be impartial? What is being impartial when the whole world is at war about whether one thing is a devouring superstition or a divine hope? End quote. The new iconoclasm is just the same way. It's why Francis fed us a nonsensical line about using the survey of bishops to justify traditionis custodis. Not only are they not impartial, they are devious deceivers who do the infernal work of their father below. That example I gave from Mr. Schmitz is really one, only one of many, and I've used it to talk about something that has needed to be discussed for some time. But what other examples can you name besides the liturgy? Let me know in the comments below. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.